when I was living in Brooklyn and my husband and I, we lived just down the street from the Williamsburg Farmer's Market. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of this time when I discovered the beauty of local food and the beauty of fresh farmer's market ingredients. So that was really a time of inspiration and sort of just learning about food systems in a more direct way. Welcome to the Virginia Foodie Podcast, where we lift the lid on the craft food industry and tell the stories behind the good food, good people, and good brands that you know and love. If you've ever come across a yummy food brand and wondered, how did they do that? How did they turn that recipe into a successful business? Then we've got some stories for you. Hi there, foodies. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here, especially today, because I've got Elizabeth Stark as my guest. You may know Elizabeth's work already. She's the voice behind Brooklyn Supper, where she writes, photographs, and develops new recipes, giving us her favorite takes on seasonal food. One of the OGs in the influencer marketing community, Brooklyn Supper got its start in New York, but now comes to us from Charlottesville, Virginia, and we are so glad she's here. Elizabeth is on a mission to help readers better understand all the foods of the seasons and how ingredients can change throughout the year, but your table can still be flavorful and plentiful. As a person who cares about healthy, diverse agriculture, eating seasonally is a message I can really get behind. Today, Elizabeth shares with us all the work that goes on behind those beautiful photos of a shiny new recipe and what it's really like to work with brands to promote their products, yet still keep an authentic voice. If you're a brand considering taking the dive into influencer marketing or a foodie who wants to launch a new career, listen while she shares what it's like to be Brooklyn in Virginia. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I feel like we have known each other for years and years, and we have talked off and on, but I'm so happy to sit down and have a really in-depth conversation with you today. So thank you for coming and oh, thank you. sharing your story with the listeners. I'm really glad to be here. So you are the blog and Instagram account, Brooklyn Supper. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing for those who are listening who may not know you? Sure. My name's Elizabeth Stark, and I write the blog Brooklyn Supper, and it's a recipe and cooking blog dedicated to home cooking and fresh seasonal produce and just kind of, yeah, just creating kind of simple, delicious food is really where my passion is. And you're in Virginia now, but you started in Brooklyn, right? Yes. <laughs> I have a branding problem, a pretty big one. <laughs> so I started the blog actually in 2008 in Brooklyn and at the top of a very ramshackle third floor walk up that was, yeah very interesting building and, you know, you kind of get what you pay for in Brooklyn. So um, we had cheap rent. <laughs> and so I started it in 2008. And then in 2013, my husband and my two daughters and I moved to Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, even though at that point, I was sort of, I was making a living from my work, but I had never, the blog was still something I saw as a hobby. And so 
we briefly considered, my husband and I talked about potentially renaming the blog at that point, but right as I would have maybe realized I needed to rename it, I started getting some press and some awards <laughs> that made it very hard to switch at that point. So I just kind of have stuck with it, even though it doesn't totally make sense. Oh, I don't know. I think it just goes together as one name to me, honestly. And at first, I think I thought your first name was Brooklyn. So yeah, (laughs) I get that sometimes. Yeah. So I've been starting all of my interviews lately, just doing a little check in because we are speaking in April, actually, of 2021. And so after a year of pandemic, the food industry has just been hit insanely hard. And so how have you been? And how has your year been? Well, I have to say that I feel really lucky. I've had a good year. When the pandemic first started last March, I lived through the first Great Recession in the 2010s in Brooklyn. My husband got laid off. I actually went back to work and we really struggled then. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a really hard time. So we approached this, this pandemic with a lot of fear. And I literally like planted turnips and stuff really early because I just was worried about like, I didn't know if the food chain would hold up. It was very uncertain. But because so many people are home and cooking, the grocery industry, which is my primary niche, is, you know, doing sponsored posts for food products. Um, It's actually been a good year for me. And I've had a surprising amount of work. And looking back, it's actually been pretty good. So I feel really lucky to have that security in a time of such great uncertainty. That's good news, actually. (laughs) It's good to hear. And as this is your primary income for yourself now, right? And and having kids to feed, (laughs) I'm sure it was a very uncertain, uncertain time. Yeah. So I was going to ask, you something before I get started. I did not realize Mm. that your husband was part of this. And I I think it's because I've only heard your voice mostly. Yeah. So he, when we first started, he did some of the writing and actually wrote some of the posts. He never did any of the recipe development and, but he's actually a really great and engaging writer. Um, So these days he's just the editor. So he edits everything that I put up and we work sometimes together on things. Sometimes I pull him in to be an assistant where I like yell at him. (laughs) I'm very mean. (laughs) Like, no, not like that. You know, it's always like when there's like a crisis. So he doesn't have a huge role in the blog anymore. um, And especially not the way he used to in the past. Okay. So you're a recipe creator and you work with grocery brands. Can you talk a little bit about really the work that goes behind that? It looks so beautiful and seamless as a viewer. So can you tell me what it really, really means to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think a lot of times people say, well, I bet you eat dinner so late because you're taking pictures and that's the blog eats first is what we say in my house. The family gets like cold, cold food, you know, we'll eat it and say, I bet this was really good when it was hot. So first of all, it takes, you know, some effort to develop the recipes. Almost all my recipes now are unique and not adapted from other sources. I really try to create original recipes, especially when I'm working for a brand. Mm -hmm. So that will start sort of with research. So many things now, the 
the web is so saturated with content. I try to do a lot of research to find a unique angle or just a unique spin that might call to people. And then another thing that I do is I like my recipes to be very focused and kind of like not have to do a lot of extra steps, or if there are steps, they really need to all make sense. I don't want people using tons of pots and pans or creating all these different elements that make a lot of work. Oh, you're after my heart there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, in Brooklyn, we did not have a dishwasher. And so I will never forget cooking for a family of four with no dishwasher and having a food (laughs) blog. (laughs) I'm scarred for life. uh, Hours spent doing in the dishes every day. So that's part research. And then a lot of it is just testing the recipes and doing several takes of the recipe. So I probably test a recipe somewhere between three or four times more if it's too difficult, just not working. Mm-hmm. It depends on the project that it's for. If it's something I really have to figure out and get it to work, I'll keep making it. But usually if it doesn't work after four times, then I just decide it wasn't meant to be. So do you do all four tests on the same day or do you? No, no, I'll do them over time. And I typically in quarantine, my kids are home, my whole family, my husband's working from home. So, and we have a pretty small house. So (laughs) my productivity is not what it once was. I'm not, it's hard to remember what my life was like when just doing my work was my job. Now I have a lot of other jobs. So I do, I'll make them for dinner nights or lunches and just kind of test them out over time. Because otherwise you start wasting a lot of food, making more than can be eaten. And so I'll test things. And then a whole nother part too, though, is the plating. Obviously, like it really needs to be beautiful. And so sometimes I'll make something and it will be tested and ready, but then I'll shoot it and it just won't be there. It just won't have the oomph it needs to, or I'll learn something about plating it when I'm plating it for the shot. And I'll go back and have to remake it and replate it and reshoot it. Oh my, I hadn't really thought about that. I've worked with food photographers where we're there for a day and there's the home ec person who's like make and they'll make a dish a couple times and plate it in a day. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about that. I don't know why. When it's just you, sometimes there's also so many things at a home studio. This time of year, it's thunderstorm season. I tend to shoot at night, like in the evening, mm-hmm. right? As the sun's going down is the best light. And so there have been so many times where you have something complicated, it's just ready. And then the sky turns like pitch dark and a thunderstorm moves in. <laughs> so there's just a lot of different things like that that can complicate things. And I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, I've realized. And like the recipe I put up on my blog this week, I was like, oh, I'd really like to reshoot that, but I just put it up anyway. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes the deadline is there. Yeah. What do you use for photography? I have a Canon 5D Mark III. Mm-hmm. and a 50 millimeter lens. Mm-hmm. And so I'm probably going to upgrade soon, just especially because I also shoot video on that and the quality. I'd like to get a better quality look out of the video. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm definitely not someone who's very into the technical side of photography. 
So now I'm going to ask you a little bit about these brand partners that you're working with, because if it takes you four or five tries on a recipe, like what does that relationship look like with a brand? Like I am in a world where sometimes deadlines are insane. Mm -hmm. What does a good brand partnership look like for you? Well, for me, with some of my favorite clients and especially my long-term clients who know me and know my work, I can turn things around surprisingly fast if I need to. And I work with a lot of people that have really tight deadlines sometimes, but usually it starts with me sending them kind of a selection of ideas. My blog is about seasonal foods. So foods that are in season. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, if a brand came to me right now in April and said they wanted me to make something with fresh tomatoes, I would actually not take that. I wouldn't do that because tomatoes aren't in season right now. And Mm -hmm. I just, that's not how I work, but so I'll pick things that are in season and sort of ask the brand what they're looking for and then create kind of three or four really delicious sounding ideas, almost like I'll do like a recipe title and then a quick deck for the recipe that kind of tells you a little bit about it. And then the brand will pick one of those. And then I kind of hit the ground running, but once they go from the idea phase to the development phase, Obviously, sometimes things change. You learn a little bit more about how the recipe is actually going to be and things like that. And so things can kind of evolve in that process. And I'll be in touch with the brand to let them know if there are major changes. And then I sort of just send them my draft of my blog post and my social and then the images and we'll go into edits from there. Who are you typically working with on the brand side? I work with a pretty big range of clients. Right now, one of my best, most long-term clients is Farmer Focused Chicken. (laughs) I'm really glad to be working with them. I like them too. I think that's where we first really cross paths. So Mm -hmm. a nice Virginia brand. Yes, exactly. They're local to Virginia, just over the mountain in Harrisonburg. And their ethos really fits with mine. And, you know, this, their idea of creating better quality chicken that has a better life while it, while it lives. And it also tastes fantastic because of that high quality, but I've also been to their farms and met their farmers. I've actually even been inside their chicken houses in the summer. Um, (laughs) And so I know, I know what they're doing really well and I know it's really high quality. And so it makes it really easy to talk about the food when it's coming from a place of integrity and honesty. Now you work directly with the company in that instance, but are you sometimes working with an agency representative or like a marketing person? I think who is like the person that hires you? Yeah, it's usually through agencies. And sometimes now there's two levels of remove. Now that the influencer economy has kind of taken off, I tend to work through a company that I don't know what they call themselves, but they connect influencers with agencies. So sometimes I'll be working with someone from the influencer agency and then someone from the brand agency to kind of come up with content. But that's like a broker, really. That it, mm-hmm. Yeah, who's just out there making those relationships for you. Yeah. And but I also have, I think in the business, I'm sure, as you know, building relationships is key. So mm-hmm. I also have a lot of really good relationships with the folks that work, both clients and influencer agencies, so that I can kind of email them on the side and ask them a question and learn more about what the client might be looking for. If something's like, sometimes clients kind of t- 
give so many things, so many points that you need to do for something that it becomes really cumbersome. And it's almost just like ad copy and no one's going to read something that sounds very canned. So Mm -hmm. I try to try to push back when I can. Yeah, that is a hard thing. We do a lot of content creation and it's really hard when the sales team is in there (laughs) waving their their flag saying, don't forget, don't forget. Mm -hmm. It's like at some point we can't be everything in one you can't cram everything into one statement. So yeah, absolutely. So that you need to remind them sometimes that the reason they hired you was for your voice, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest, I guess, hurdles, I guess, is that a lot of times brands really want their packaging in the photo. Oh. They want that obviously, and for understandable reasons, but I also try to help them understand that the more overtly branded the image is, it's directly proportional to how well it will do on social. Oh so my goodness. It, so no one's going to like it. No one's going to interact with it. They might see it in their feed, but they're going to keep scrolling. And so that is a really tough one for me also, because if their packaging is ugly, <laughs> <laughs> then it has to be on my Instagram feed forever. And I don't love that. No, we've been saying that over and over again. Like the packaging is like the last part that people want to see. It looks Mm -hmm. particularly on Instagram, my goodness. Yeah, it's very hard. They want to see the dream, right? What can happen with this product? Yeah, you do have to put it, a brand needs to put their packaging in their content stream, but it's more as like, yes, this is what we look like in the store, but (laughs) it's not going to do as well. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the things like that I really love about Farmer Focus, sort of going back to that thing I said about how I want my recipes to make sense. And I also want my photos to make sense. So I'm not going to have, I'm not going to show ingredients that aren't part of the recipe. I try to keep my styling really simple and approachable. So people don't feel like, I don't know, I like things simple, but like for Farmer Focus, it would really not make sense. And actually it would be not gross, but a little bit like raw chicken isn't like you're not looking at that package and (laughs) it's not mouthwatering, shall we say. But I love that they don't pressure me to do that. I, I do take really beautiful ingredient photos that include the chicken in the package, but I don't necessarily need to include it in the finished photo. And so I can just let the finished recipe speak for itself, which is what I really love as a creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point is that thing about attractive ingredients and where do you put them and how the consumer encounters the content. You want them to be drawn into what you're doing rather than have this like in your face. It's an ad, it's an ad. And mm-hmm. that's like the distinction, I think, between influencer marketing and straight up the old days, slick magazine pages. Mm-hmm. Well, you said a couple things in here. One of them is you're working with a broker and you're working with bigger brands, but you also talked about the influencer economy and like how long did it take you to get to where you are making a living from this? Because you're describing a process that is very, very time consuming. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I started doing editorial content for other websites probably in 2010. And so that was like obviously a different, a lifetime ago in internet years. And so that's where I kind of started. I did some sponsored work through 
the company I was writing for. And that's where I kind of like learned about sponsored work. And I would say I probably got my first sponsored posts in 2013, but I was Mm -hmm. just not knowledgeable about pricing. And I can't remember what I charged, but it was funny to me now. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness, that's five years though, right? From when you started this, Mm -hmm. that's a trail. Well, and I have to say when I first started the blog, it was entirely a hobby. The archives are by time anymore. So you can't easily go back. But sometimes in my anniversary posts, I'll post links to Mm -hmm. my old stuff. And I would take pictures just with a flash (laughs) with my dining room light on. And I have a background in photography. And so then it's really shocking how terrible everything was (laughs) and how, (laughs) how casual I was about everything. Probably around 2010 is when I started taking it more seriously and realizing that it was something I could do for money or for my job. And so it did take a while. And then I would say in 2015 is probably, so I've been a full-time freelancer for 10, for 11 years now, but I was more doing like other kinds of gig work, other kinds of freelance writing. And then in about 2015 is when I started making my money primarily from my blog and really having enough income to sustain just the blog. And taking a few side gigs or writing for big sites that were good for exposure for me and things like that. And then in 2015 is also the year I won a Sever blog award Mm -hmm. for most delicious recipes. And that was like life changing. Yeah, that's a lovely honor. That's really good. Well, we talked a little bit about like the growth of the influencer economy. And I've been reading a lot. There was a time where it felt like we were on a bubble, like everyone was opening an influencer account and running around posting everything. And I've been reading a lot about how there's going to be another rise in that because of some of the changes in paid advertising that are happening through social media. So what are you anticipating? Like what's on the horizon for you in the coming year or so? Yeah, I mean... It's tough because you have to keep adapting. And it's like, as soon as I learned to do video, video's over. Now you have to do <laughs> reels and each thing keeps changing. And TikTok recipes now, as we know, are all the rage. And so I'm trying to find my own lane outside of the kind of constantly evolving world of influencer work. Mm -hmm. So I've thought about going to more like a paid subscriber mode. I know a lot of people are thinking about that too now, like the Mm -hmm. Substack model, but I, I guess I want to keep doing what I do and I'm not afraid to change, but I also just know that I don't know. That's, it's a really tough question, but I think that's kind of staying true to myself is what I have to do and sort of following all the trends is not true to myself, if that makes sense. Well, then that kind of leads into one of my closing statements is like, what is it in your life that inspired you to work with food? And can you talk a little bit about what it is that's your North Star? What's what keeps you moving forward? Mm-hmm. It's funny. So when I was living in Brooklyn and my husband and I, we lived just down the street from the Williamsburg Farmer's Market. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of this time when I discovered 
the beauty of local food and the beauty of fresh farmers market ingredients. And we sort of, we had the income at the time to kind of buy almost all our main ingredients from the farmer's market. So that was really a time of inspiration and sort of just learning about food systems in a more direct way. And so I would say still, that is still the thing that I'm very passionate about. It's kind of shifted over the years. Like now I tend to grow a lot more food on my own in my backyard. I'm learning that now. We couldn't Um, do that in Brooklyn. (laughs) No, I did grow food in Brooklyn, but just very small amounts. So that's something that always keeps me grounded is going back to the ingredients and sort of honoring the ingredients first. And I don't think my approach to that will ever change. And also bringing that to other people, you know, like I always sort of say, everyone is like, what is a kohlrabi and what can I do with it? (laughs) (laughs) Or if you have a CSA and you don't understand those ingredients, that's a place I really want to be helpful and get people cooking food that they love with ingredients they may not be familiar with in the beginning. Well, I have to ask you, what did you do with all the turnips you planted last year? Oh, gosh, it was a real disaster because they're disgusting. (laughs) They are. They're terrible. My my kids were like, we are not eating these. (laughs) I'm so sorry, turnip fans, but but I'm with you. Yeah, the Um, greens, I'm sorry, they're not disgusting. They have a place, but especially spring turnips don't have that sweetness that overwintered turnips do. So turnip greens were delicious, and I learned... That I learned why so many Southern cooks favor those as the best kind of greens. Mm-hmm. But the actual vegetable, I learned fritters. I made turnip fritters and they were delicious. And my kids ate them. That's the secret. Fritter it if it's... Batter and yeah. fry it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> my goodness. Oh it my. wasn't battered, luckily. It was just shredded and shredded with an egg, something like that. So not too, too bad, but it definitely fried for sure. Okay. (laughs) Put a lot of fat in there. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So yeah. And maybe a soup you could do, I think. But yeah, the roasted ones, even I was like, I don't like these. (laughs) I accidentally ate them at a family gathering and thought, oh, these were turnips. <laughs> it's like, mm, don't like those. <laughs> yeah, they have some bite. Yeah. Well, can you tell people where to find you? This has been so, I mean, I could keep talking to you forever, but we do have to end at some point. So. <laughs> could you tell our listeners where to find you? Sure. My blog is brooklynsupper.com and I'm on Instagram at brooklynsupper. And those are the two best places to find me. I'm also on Facebook, but. And can your followers like subscribe to a newsletter and get updates from you? Oh, that's a good point. I do have a newsletter. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can subscribe in the sidebar of my blog, Brooklyn Supper. And I try to send it out just about every week. And my newsletter tends to focus on what's in season. So it says what to eat right now. And then sometimes I'll focus on an ingredient, like I recently did beets and cauliflower. And then sometimes I'll also focus on like a holiday or cookout season or things like that, that, that kind of are on people's minds. Oh, that sounds delightful. I hope you get many more subscribers from this. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm such a big fan of Virginia Foodie. So I'm really excited to be talking with you. Oh, thank you. I was so happy to talk to you too. All right. Thank you so much, George. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. 
And if you want to learn more about how to grow your own food brand, then click on Grow My Brand at vafoodie.com. If you're a lover of local food, then be sure to follow us. We're at VA Foodie on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join the conversation and tell us about your adventures with good food, good people, and good brands. Thank you.